Good morning. morning. Rejoice in the Lord. And again I say, uh, a few weeks ago uh, we had a Christmas gift uh, from the elders. They they gave me a gift card for being here for five years. I was able to take my family out to dinner. That was quite a blessing. But I also just want to take a moment uh, from Pastor John and I just to say thank you for the pastor's Christmas gift every year. That's a tremendous blessing. We're humbled every year. And also, uh, just so you know, the staff gets a little Christmas bonus as well. And I couldn't do what I do without our staff. We are blessed with the tremendous uh, staff. Bev does a great job in the office and, and keeps me organized, which can be a difficult task. Um, Andy is doing a great job, very creative and bringing things to the to the children's ministry. Ben does an awesome job uh, leading worship. We have a joy. It's a joy to have him on staff. Andy and Darius keep the keep the, the church running and, and going well and clean. Uh, and Justin this weekend is at the, the uh, student leadership retreat. And if you come on Wednesdays, this place is bustling. Uh, there's so many teens here. He's doing a fantastic job. And John is a tremendous partner for ministry. Uh, I love doing ministry alongside him. Uh, and it's a blessing to be part of a team with him. So just thank you uh, for all of you, for the way you love us, for the way you care for us. And uh, just, I'm so thankful for the team we have. In fact, uh, Larry called the staff the A-team. And uh, in staff meeting this week, we were trying to figure out who is who. Um, so uh, I, I said, I want to be Mr. T, you know, uh, just because he's cool. And I think I'm the cool one. But uh, and then we think John, John is, is probably Hannibal because he loves it when a plan comes together. And uh, then we figured, you know, Ben's a little quirky, so he's... he's uh, He's probably Murdoch. And then uh, all that was left was his face. And we're like, I don't know if that fits Justin, but he's the only one left. So, <clears throat> And if you don't know who the A-team is, it's probably because you're younger than 30. Um, because the show ran from 1983 to 1986. But if I was try- to try and explain that, I might take an image, uh, something to try and show you. Uh, what uh, the A-team is. And this is this uh, Funko Pop thing that I have. Oh, go back, sorry. Uh, the, the Funko Pop thing that I have that John gave me one year after I mentioned Mr. T in some other capacity. I don't know why. Um, but uh, I could go to somebody. I could explain that I pity the fool that doesn't know who the A-team was. Um, that was something he always said. And uh, I could talk by looking at this and explain who is the A-team. Well, then the question becomes... If you can't see, physically see God, how do you know what God is like? And so we have the image of God in Jesus. And Jesus is the one who shows us what God is like. People sometimes struggle with Christianity because they say, I can't see God. But much like wind, you can't see wind, but you can see leaves blowing through the wind. You can see a flag waving in the wind. You can see my basketball hoop fall over in the wind. You can see the effects of the wind. So for those of us that have been following Christ for a long time, we see evidence of God all around us in every single daily life. But the Scriptures say, if you want to see God, look at, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus and you will see who God is. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul writes a beautiful poem in Colossians 1, knowing that this letter would be read aloud in the church in Colossae as part of their worship service. So today we're going to look at a small portion of that letter, and then we're going to look, or that poem, we're going to look at the rest of it in next week's service. 
Uh, Ben already read it, but I'm going to read it again. But before I do that, I just want to remind you, for those of you that were gone last week like I was, uh, we're jumping into the book of Colossians. Colossae is in Asia Minor over there uh, near a lot of the some of the other cities like Laodicea that we've talked about, Ephesus, some of those other cities that we're familiar with. And Paul wrote this book to this church because he heard from Epaphras that there was a danger. There was some false teaching that was uh, in the area, and there were some things that were potentially going to influence the church. One of them was Gnosticism. And and Gnosticism believed that that material was bad and spiritual things were good, so they they taught that Jesus was a spirit. He wasn't really physical. He wasn't a, a... it was maybe if he walked, uh, some forms of Gnosticism taught if he walked, he would leave no footprints. Others believe that the Spirit of God descended on Jesus, but then went away before he died. There was this false teaching. But there was also legalism, Jewish legalism, that said you had to do these things that they used to do in the Old Testament in order to be Christians. And so Paul wrote this book to, to say, hey, be careful of these dangers, but To help them see this, the first thing he does is go, who is Jesus? And if you truly understand who Jesus is, then you truly understand who God is. If you truly understand who Jesus is, then you won't be influenced by the Gnostics. You won't be influenced by this legalism that comes in. If you want to follow Christ, you need a clear picture of who Christ is. So I'm going to read again from Colossians 1, what we just read together. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things on heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created for Him, or sorry, through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have supremacy. Let's pray. God, You are so magnificent and holy, sovereign over all things, and yet sometimes in the midst of our daily lives, we lose sight of that. We get so caught up in the mundane and the distractions, and the hardships, and the difficulties, and the joys, and the sorrows, that we lose sight of your magnificence and your glory. So Lord, today, help us to look at you, see who you are, trust you, and Lord, have faith that you are sovereign over everything. In your name we pray. Amen. The poem starts by saying Jesus is the image, the Son is the image of the invisible God. He's the image. Uh, in 1 Timothy 1.17 it says, The King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And so God is spirit, God is invisible, and so every week as we gather, I I open up God's Word and I do what's called exegesis. We we look at a passage and I try to show you what that passage means in its context and and what what effects it should have on our life. Well, Jesus essentially is the exegesis of God. 
He shows us who God is. He's the image of the invisible God. In the Greek, this word is icon. E-I-K-O-N. In English, it's icon. I-C-O-N. An image or representation. If you looked at a painting of someone, a portrait, that would be an image to explain who they are. Uh, the Greek idols that they worshipped, they called them icons. And, and when the when the Hebrew Old Testament was translated into Greek, when it talked about Nebuchadnezzar building that big uh, statue that everyone would bow down to, and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no, we won't bow. He built an icon, a representation. Uh, Caesar would put the, his icon onto the coin to say, you are in Rome's territory. This is Rome's money. It had the image of Caesar on the coin. It's this idea, this, this Mr. T is an icon. It's a, it's a picture of who Mr. T is. It's an image. Jesus is the exegesis of God. He's the revelation of what God is really like. In Hebrews 1, it says this, that the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. This is not exact. Mr. T's head was that big, he would have issues. But Jesus is the exact representation of of God. We know who God is because we know who Jesus is. John 1:18, Jesus says, "No one has seen the, the the no one has seen God, but the one and only Son, that's Jesus, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made himself known." You want to know who God is? Look at Jesus. 1 Corinthians 4, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Jesus is the exact representation. He is fully God. And yet God, the Creator God, the Creator of all things, chose to come to this earth and take on a body to show us who God is and to provide a way for us to enter eternity with Him. Now, Jesus isn't the only, only the image of God. He's also the firstborn over creation. Now, when you first read this, you go, firstborn, <clears throat> does that mean that Jesus was created? Now, the next verse shows that He created all things, so He couldn't have been created if He created all things. And if you have a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness knock on your door, they would say, look at this verse. See, Jesus was the first creation. He, he didn't exist eternally in the past. He was the first creation. There was an uh, old theologian, his name was Arius, and he taught this heresy. And his words was, there was a time when he was not. That's what he taught. And the Arianism started to seep into the church. And so they had to come together in Nicaea and, and this council and, and create this creed to show that Jesus eternally existed in the past. In fact, there's a, there's a story, and we don't know if it's, if it's historically true or not, but, you know, St. Nicholas, uh, Nicholas, we based Santa Claus off of, that St. Nicholas, um, was really mad at Arius for this heresy. And according to tradition, they were in this meeting arguing about it, and St. Nick smacked Arius in the face because he was so offended. So when you celebrate Christmas, you'd be like, Santa Claus smacks heretics. We don't know for sure if that was true. Some people say it is. Other people say, well, we can't find true history. But I, I, li- I always like the picture of Santa Claus. Anyways. So what does this word firstborn mean? If, if Jesus is the firstborn, if it doesn't mean he's 
created, what does it mean? Well, in the scriptures, firstborn has two meanings. One, it could mean the firstborn of a family. But second, it means priority. It means the highest rank or order, the highest honor. The Torah, the the first five books of the Bible are called the firstborn. The Messiah in Psalm 89 is called the firstborn, appointed as the firstborn. The people of Israel in Exodus 4 are called God's firstborn son. As we look back in the history of the nation of Israel, we trace the line of Jesus back through the lineage. We see that Isaac was chosen Oh, or sorry, first, yeah, Isaac was chosen over Ishmael. Jacob, who was not the firstborn, was given the rights of the firstborn over Esau. Judah over Reuben. Solomon over Amnon. This, this idea is that Christ had power and authority. He was given su- superior position and standing. He was preeminent. He was sovereign over all creation. Why? Because he created all things. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. Now, as we think about what it means to be made in the image of God, some people have said that, that we can create things. But as humans, we, only, we can only create things out of other things. You know, if we want to build a house, what do we do? We, we get supplies, wood, uh, drywall, all that stuff, and we create, we build a house out of material that already exists. Even the atom bomb, you know, they had to find a way to separate the atoms and do all that stuff to to make it happen. They took materials that already existed to create something. What did God do? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There was nothing other than God, and He created Everything out of nothing. So Jesus is the creator. In the creation story in Genesis, uh, in Genesis, we have the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit hovering over the water. We have the use of the plural noun, Elohim, to describe God throughout Genesis 1. In Genesis 1.26, God says, Let us make man in our likeness. We see all three persons of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, involved in creation. But we also see Jesus in creation. Psalm 33, it says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of His mouth. For He spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Well, now listen to what John says in John 1. In the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He is with God in the beginning. Through Him, through the Word of God, through Jesus, all things were made. Without Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. Going back to Colossians, Jesus created all things. The things in heaven and the things on earth. The Bible uses that phrase just to describe the whole universe. Everything in the universe was created by God. Not only that, the things that are visible and invisible. Everything in the spiritual realm, angels and demons, were created by God. And they said, were there thrones or powers or rulers or authorities? Those are in the Scriptures talking about, and in, also in Hebrew thought, the, the different levels of angels. So it's everything in the angelic realm. He's again saying the invisible 
He created everything. Things that can't be seen, things that can be seen. It's all been created by Him. We look around the world, we see 391,000 different types of plants. God created that plant in my yard that dies because I don't water it enough. He created the Venus flytrap. He created the huge trees as you go through the redwood forest. He created 900,000 different types of insects from the ones that are beneficial to the ones that are sometimes annoying. I think those are a result of the fall. He created 8.7 million different types of animals. If you've ever gone to an aquarium, like a big aquarium, like in Chicago or Toronto or one of those places, and you see some of these weird fish, you're like, God has a sense of humor. There's some weird-looking fish out there. But God created all of it. Every time we get a bigger satellite, the, 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 or now they get smaller but go farther, but every time we get a newer satellite and they look out at the expanse of the universe, we're astounded by how much more is there than we knew before. And then they get a new satellite. Wow, there's way more. And they get a new satellite. Wow. Our universe is immense. God created all things, and Christ is the creator of all things. He is sovereign over all. He rules over all of it. Because all things have been created through Him, but not just through Him, for Him. Notice the progression. In Him all things were created. Through things, all things were created. And for Him, all things were created. And the next week, as we look at the rest of the poem, we're going to see this pattern again. Jesus is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and end. And the ultimate goal of all of creation is to bring Him glory. Even as Christians, the Scriptures say, where we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which He prepared in advance for us to do. God has a purpose and a plan for each and every one of us. And and the ultimate goal of that plan is to bring Him glory. The Creator of all things. Philippians 2 says, One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. We can either bow now or bow then. Romans 11, at the end of Paul's theological discourse, he ends it with this. For from Him and through Him and for Him are all things. To God be the glory. Amen. That means the purpose of your marriage is to honor and bring glory to God. Puts things in perspective in the middle of a fight. The purpose of your parenting is to honor and bring glory to God. It's not to raise moral kids that get a good job. The purpose of your vocation is to bring honor and glory to God. And so wherever God has placed you, do you see that as your purpose? One of the biggest changes that happened in my life was I was a horrible student. Uh, High school, the first time I went to college. uh, When I went back to college, I doubled my GPA. That tells you how good my GPA was the first time. But there was a disconnect in my mind when I was 18, 19, 20. In my mind, my thought was, ministry is for God. School is something that I have to do to eventually become a youth pastor. And there was a shift that took place 
when I turned 27 and I went back to college, it was like, I am a student right now, so I am called to bring God glory in my studies. I had somewhere separated the secular from the Christian. And so at work, it wasn't about bringing God glory. It was just about, well, I need to pay for college, so I need to work. And at school, it wasn't about bringing God glory. It's like, well, I need to do this so I can do that. There was a shift that happened in my mind where I recognized I was looking at everything wrong. That every single aspect of my life, right now as a parent, as a foster parent, as a husband, as a pastor, every single part of my life, the purpose is to bring God glory. But it's so easy to forget that. Everything exists for the glory of God. Because He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He's before all things. He both, he, he both existed eternally in the past. He did not have a beginning, but He also is sovereign over all things. He is positionally over all things, before all things. And in Him all things hold together. In Hebrews 1 it says that He sustains all things by His powerful Word. In other words, if He stopped thinking about it, if He stopped making it happen, planets would fall out of orbit. Atoms would split. The earth would stop rotating. Everything would fall apart because Christ sustains all things. There are times that I need to remember that. There are times even this week where I said, Lord, would you sustain me? You're the creator of all things. You sustain all things. I need your sustenance. I need you to hold me together because I'm falling apart. Have you ever had those moments where you feel like everything's falling apart? Turn to the one that sustains all things. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. So not only is he sovereign over creation, he is sovereign over the church. He's the head of the body. Does anybody know any friends that don't have a head? No. They they you can't exist without a head. The church can't exist without Christ as the head. My role as a pastor is not to be the head of the church. My role is to point you to the head of the church. I am a shepherd of this congregation, but I am an under-shepherd of Jesus our Lord. My purpose is to continually, hopefully, point you to the Savior and say, pursue Him, follow Him. He's the head. As we worship Him, that's how our church goes. No church should be about a personality because... We worship the Savior and Creator of all things. 1 Corinthians 15 says this. Oh, sorry, go back one. My bad, I skipped ahead. So He is the head of the body, and He's also the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. We already talked about how He is the firstborn, but now He's the firstborn from among the dead. That doesn't mean that He's the firstborn to ever raise from the dead. He raised Lazarus from the dead and a few others. But rather that this initiates something. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So Christ chose to take on human flesh, to come to earth, 
and to be brutally murdered so that he could be the firstborn among the dead, so he could raise from the dead to provide a way for us to have eternal life. He chose to do that. The Creator who sustains all things chose to do that. Christ isn't just the head of the church. He's the head of salvation because salvation finds its beginning in Jesus, the author, founder, and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Now seats seats at the right hand of the Father. Back to Colossians. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that, when you see words like that, you say, okay, this is the reason. So that in everything, He might have supremacy. Now, some words in the Bible are hard to understand. You have to explain them. There's this word in the Bible that's everything. It means everything. It's not a hard word to understand. In everything, He might have supremacy. Every single area of our life. Every single thing that exists. That is what Jesus is sovereign over. He is higher than our minds can comprehend more powerful than we can imagine, more loving than we can fathom, more just than we can evaluate, more holy than we can grasp. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have supremacy. He is sovereign, preeminent ruler. What does that mean for us? What do we do with that? God has given us a a free will, and we can choose to bow or choose to do our own thing. Last time I preached, uh, I preached about how we can't know the future. And uh, 70 years ago, uh, Abbott and Costello actually predicted the future, that who was on first. And, and all throughout that, they keep saying, who's on first? And the other guy says, I'm not asking you who's on first. I'm asking you what's on second. They keep going. But he keeps saying, I'm not asking you who's on first. But today, I don't want to ask you who's on first, but I want to ask you who's in first. When you look at your life, when you look at what you do, who has first place? Have you given Jesus everything? Does Jesus have first place in your marriage? Or is it more about you and your wants and your desires and your needs? Does He have first place in your parenting? Does He have first place in your schoolwork? Does He have first place in your friendships or your relationships with other family members? Does He have first place in your work? Does He have first place in your free time? Does He have first place when you're alone? Is Jesus Lord of every area of your life, or are you holding back? 
said, Jesus, I'll give you Sundays. I'll give you ministry. But school, that's, you know, uh, that's not really your domain. Work, that's, that's not really your domain. Your domain is, is Sundays. And then I, I come and serve on Wednesdays too, so I'll give you that time too. That's your domain. Romans 11. The end of this beautiful treatise of Romans 1 to 11 says, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable His judgments and His past beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from Him and through Him and for Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen then the question becomes, so that? Or maybe better said, so what? If for, from Him and through Him and for Him are all things, then how should we respond? The very next verse, Paul writes this. Therefore, because of that fact, because Christ is sovereign over all, and when you look back at the whole argument from Romans 1 to 11, because Christ died on our behalf, paying the price for our sins, providing a way for salvation so that we can have eternal life. Because of that, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's amazing mercies, in view of His forgiveness and grace, and the way He has come to this earth and provided a way for you to get to heaven, in view of all those things, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, in the Old Testament, they would bring sacrifices for their sins to the temple. And here Paul is saying, we offer ourselves, all that we are, to God. Say, I'm going to live as a continual sacrifice for you. And this offering is good and pleasing. It's holy. And this is what true and proper worship is. We come on Sundays and we sing songs, and that's a great way to worship. But worship isn't just music. It's the everyday stuff that we do when we surrender to God as Sovereign Lord. In 1955, 67 years ago, my dad was at a Youth for Christ rally. And he committed his life to serve the Lord. And this is the card that he still has and keeps in his Bible. Lord Jesus, all that I am, all that I have, all that I ever will be, and all I will ever will have, I give to Thee absolutely, unconditionally, now and forever. Romans 12, 1 and 2. And then I love this, where he signed it. Now, Lord Jesus, hold me to it. I have the most amazing earthly father who has given me a tremendous picture of God the Father my whole life. And I'm so blessed, but I know I'm blessed by that amazing father because he lived this out. And that was a constant reminder in his Bible. Everything I have, my parenting, my marriage... All that I have, I surrender to you, and I'm counting on you, Jesus, to keep me accountable to do it. So the first question is, who is first in your life? Is it the sovereign Lord of the universe, Jesus Christ? Second, who do you look like? The beginning, I used this icon, this image of Mr. T. 
If you look at the bottom of Mr. T, it says, Made in China. That is where it was made. And also, I wrote my name, Phil, just in case there's a plethora of Mr. T things in the, in the church and someone needs to figure out which one's mine. I wrote my name, Phil. Because Mr. T is owned by me. And if you've ever seen the movie Toy Story, you remember the word Andy written on Woody's foot. And how significant that was because he was Andy's toy. Andy was his owner. But for to look at our feet, and if they had writing on it, on the bottom it would say, Made by Jesus. Not made in China. Say, Made by Jesus. And if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, maybe the other foot would say, Property of Jesus. Because He bought us with the price, adopted us into His family, and welcomed us as His children. We are His. We are His icon in a way. We are made in the image of God. So the question is this. Who do you look like? Does your life look like Jesus? When other people interact with you at work, can they point to something different and say, there's something different about that person? And hopefully when they do that, they see it's Jesus. In our marriages, do people, do our spouses see Jesus lived out through that marriage? In our parenting, in every area of our life, if Jesus is supreme over all things, He needs to be first, and we need to seek to look like Him in every single thing we do. But life is hard, and we, just like this Mr. T, often don't reflect the image very well. So my prayer today is that as we go back and and read this, that we ask those questions. God, do you have preeminence? Do you have sovereignty? Are you first in every area of my life? Is there any area of my life that I'm holding back, that I have kept from you? And when I interact with others, do they see you? Do I look like you? Do I act like you? Let's pray. God, You are before all things, and in You all things are held together. You sustain all things by Your mighty right hand. And Lord, so often we, we fall short. So often we don't look like You. But Lord, we're so thankful that those great mercies talked about in Romans 11 are that You still forgive us. You still love us. You still welcome us in. As we run away, You wait with open arms. As it says in Revelation 3, You stand at the door and knock. If we open the door, You'll come in and restore fellowship. Every time we push You out of our lives, You're waiting, knocking to come back in and restore fellowship. We thank You for those amazing truths. And Lord, now as we plan to shift toward communion, help us to remember who You are and what You've done. In your name we pray. Amen.